Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, April 26th, 2018. We're going to be changing up our uh, Jim Baker update music today. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for evangelical consumption is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. A lot of people are scratching, itching ears, teaching for shameful gain things they ought not to teach, and just generally making a mess. And sadly, Christians are not doing what Scripture literally imperatively instructs them, commands them to do, and that is to test to test the spirits, to test the prophets, to test the teachers. You're thinking, where does it say that? Well, I'm doing my sermon prep for uh, the upcoming week. And in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, here's what it says. And this is kind of a, a misunderstood passage. We'll clean it up here in a minute. But the text says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, the do not believe, that's an imperative. Do not be believing every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, you're thinking, well, how am I supposed to test a spirit? Well, it's, it's if you would, a, a turn of phrase. You know, think of it this way. When the Titanic sunk, they said, you know, a thousand-something souls were lost. Yeah, those were human beings. So testing the spirits is testing the spirit of the person testing the spirit of the teacher. What is the spirit of their teaching? Is this from God or is it from some other place? So do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For, and listen to these words, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets. Now, 
The book of 1 John was written against one of the earliest Gnostic sects that literally created a division, a division in the churches in Ephesus, and there was a whole group of people who literally left the true church to follow after uh, the teacher who was known as Serinthus, who was a guy who denied that the, Jesus came in the flesh, and uh, he was a Gnostic heretic, and he split the church there in uh, in in Ephesus. And so the Apostle John, writing there, says, test the Spirit, see the, whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out in the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, and here's an important word, that confesses, homilageo, says the same thing, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And so you can see then that 1 John chapter 4 talks about prophecy in a wide sense, not a narrow sense. Many people think that prophecy is limited to a very narrow understanding of receiving direct revelation from God and then passing it along. That's one sense that you can talk about prophecy. And so you point to Isaiah. He was a prophet of that type. You can point to Amos and Hosea and Micah and Jeremiah. These fellows were prophets in that narrow sense. But there then is a broad sense in which somebody is a prophet, and that is is that everybody who is a preacher or a teacher is a prophet in the wide sense. And by that, I mean they are bringing to you supposedly words from God, and Scripture says, test their spirits. How can you test them? Answer, by listening to what they confess. What do they confess? So the one who confesses that the that Jesus is not the Christ is not from God. The one who says, you know, so in that context, so what are they confessing? Is it biblical or not? So by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess doesn't say the same thing, that, that the Jesus, you know, that do not confess the Jesus is not from God. Now, I put the word the in there, but, you know, the Jesus, because in verse 3, it, it actually has the direct article. So it's, and every spirit that does not confess the Jesus is not from God. So this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world. So the idea of testing somebody's confession, testing somebody's teaching is explicitly taught in the New Testament. This is not something that you get to opt out of. No, we're all to be doing this. In fact, you need to even test what I'm saying to see if it squares with Scripture. Am I confessing? Am I saying the same thing as the Bible when I am teaching you God's Word? If so, then believe God's Word. Not me, believe God's Word. If not, then don't believe me. Right? You see how that works? Anyway... Okay, so uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to be beginning with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, we're going to head over to Kay Nash's YouTube channel and uh, listen to a part of uh, her uh, teaching video titled, How to Walk in Your Promised Land. Mm Mm-hmm. And we'll note that she clearly has no clue what she's doing, nor does she have any understanding of what the biblical promised land really is. Yeah, and so we'll we'll take a look at that. Then we're going to head over 
to Global Presence, that's the name of the ministry, as we listen to Renee Toller explain to us how to have eternity in the present. Eternity in the present. Somewhere in there, we'll probably take a break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to head over to <coughs> Church by the Glades and preview. <laughs> I think that's appropriate. Preview uh, the sermon recently delivered by David Hughes about the movie Jumanji. Yeah, the latest Jumanji movie. I wish I was making that up. And uh, then we're going to head over to the Jim Baker show. And uh, we're going to ask a question. Are, is, is the Jim Baker show in financial straits? I'm just going to ask the question because there are statements that were made in a recent episode of the Jim Baker show that would lend itself towards the idea that financially they're stretched, that something's off there, something's amiss, and we'll listen to the high-pressure sales that is going on in order to make budget. So, uh, yeah, we'll listen to that from uh, 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 Jim Baker and Lori Baker. And uh, along the way, we will actually change up our Jim Baker show update music. We will uh, dump William Tapley for our Jim Baker update music for a different song. We'll introduce it in the uh, second half of this first hour. And then in hour number two, we're going to listen to Robert Madu. <laughs> In hour number two, we're listening to Robert Madu. Anyway, and boy, this is a this is just an awful, I mean, just terrible sermon. Uh, we're going to uh, listen to Robert Madu read from the biblical text of the account of Jesus's suffering in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane prior to his arrest and crucifixion, and the anguish that he was going through, uh, the prayer where he was sweating uh, drops of blood. And uh, what Robert Madu does with this is up there. It's like up there in Badsville with some of the worst Easter sermons that we uh, recently listened to. Uh, but it's not an Easter sermon. Yeah, no, it's not. So that will be today's episode of Finding for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground we need to cover. Since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin, let's do this. Get up right now. Uh, Robert Tilton and Who Baba Kanda. So we're heading over to the uh, YouTube channel of uh, self-appointed prophetess uh, Kay Nash as she is going to explain to us in her teaching video how to walk in your promised land. And like I said, this will definitively prove, as if you had any doubts, that she has no clue 
what the Bible actually says or teaches. This is a woman who should not be teaching anybody anything and is so delusionally deceived that she's a prophetess that uh, she's doing great harm to herself and others who believe her because she does she does not understand what the word teaches and she's clearly not hearing from God. By the way, uh we've uh, if you're wondering why haven't we covered her recent prophecies on fighting for the faith? Answer, you can find those in our dumpster fire episodes where we do a roundup of the the, the monthly prophecies in our dumpster fire on YouTube. So just want to let you know that, but uh here is Kane Ash. I'm Kay Nash, and welcome back to another episode of Living Well. Today I'm going to talk to you about ways you could take over your promised land and ways that you could take over your promised land quickly. You know, because it's one thing to take over your promised land. It's another thing to do it quickly, you know. Right, yeah. Um, one thing to take over your promised land, a whole other thing to do it quickly. Now, like I said, this definitively proves she has no clue what she's talking about. So when we read in the Bible about the promised land, what is it referring to? What is the ultimate referent of the promised land? Now, we learn from the book of Hebrews several things, but one of the important things we learn from the book of Hebrews is that what's recorded for us in the Old Testament is type and shadow. And the fulfillment of the type and shadow finds its resolve in Jesus Christ. And so the the issue then comes up, What was the Old Testament promised land always pointing to? And thankfully, we do not have to guess what that is. And the reason why we don't have to guess is because Scripture explicitly tells us. Now, there are a lot of people who do not pay attention to what Scripture says, especially in Hebrews 11, and as a result of it, they get caught up in the confusion of modern-day Judaism, as well as Islam, as it relates to the promised land. Put that in air quotes, because that's what it is. It's in air quotes. They do not not rightly understand what the promised land is. So Hebrews 11, verse 8, here's what it says. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith... He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised. Not. Uh Uh-huh but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So think of it this way. The promised land of the Old Testament points to the real promised land, the new earth, 
with the heavenly Jerusalem. Come down from heaven to earth. Read the back end of the book of Revelation. Now God has made his dwelling place with man. That's coming at a future date. And the promised land is eternal life in the new earth this, and in the city whose foundation and builder is God. So the type and shadow of the Old Testament is pointing to the real promised land, the land that we all are promised, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Peter, Paul, James, John, you, me, everybody who's a Christian today. And that promised land is the new earth. All right. So with that established from Scripture, this is not my opinion. This is what Scripture says. You can sit there and go, wow. So all these people fighting over the so-called promised land in, in modern-day Israel have missed the whole point. Exactly. They have exactly missed the whole point. Now, what Kay Nash then is going to be pointing to has nothing, and I mean like absolutely nothing, to do with the the real promised land. And what fact what she's going to be talking about is kind of nonsensical, but let's return to her. Here we go. Think about the Israelites. They finished taking over their promised land, and then they were able to rest for 40 years because they had finished their assignment early. Can you imagine finishing your assignment from God early? Well, that's Yeah, if I did that, that would mean I'd be dead. Exactly what they did. And in today's sermon that I'm about to share with you, I'm going to teach... Notice she says sermon. She's preaching. Mm-hmm how to take over your promised land quickly. I hope you guys enjoy this sermon. This is a continuation of the last sermon I released, um, ways that you can get out of the wilderness and why you may be in the wilderness. And so if you're kind of like, this seems like it's starting in the middle of something, you can go back and watch that other video. Right. So let's just jump into her sermon and uh, see if we can make biblical heads or tails of this as Kane Ash is now preaching. Mm-hmm. Kind of like sermon two, but it's um, it's or the second part of the sermon, I guess. So the second part of the sermon is tonight. I want to teach you how to conquer your land quickly with the Lord. Right. Oh, Kima, can you go to my purses and see if you can find that rubber band? Okay. I'm, I'll ex- By the way, Scripture forbids women from doing what she's doing there. A second, guys. <laughs> um. Jesus. Okay, so basically my hope was that during those 10 minutes or whatever that you guys had alone and were able to identify the different promised lands that you had and the things that God wanted you to conquer in the next seven months. Right, yeah. Things God wanted me to conquer in the next seven months. Uh, Some promised lands. How am I supposed to do that? What type of weaponry will I be needing to conquer said promised lands, plural, in the next seven months? Um, is that you have that on your heart right now, okay? Because what I want to do is I want you to think about yourself as standing out the gates to accomplish those things. Those are the cities you need to accomplish, okay? Those are the things you need to get done in the next seven months. Now, the thing is, how are you going to do that? Yeah, how, how am I going to be doing that, yeah. Okay? The first thing you're going to do... What am I just doing that thing? Okay, I'm going to try it. How am I going to do this and hold the mic? Kima, can you do it, actually? Okay, so I'm just going to talk you through what to do, I guess. Okay, so basically the first reason is what I like to call the rubber band effect. Okay, now... What she calls the rubber band effect. I mean, this woman, I mean, she, she looks like she graduated high school last month. 
and she's she's already coming up with things that she's calling, you know, the, the rubber band effect that she wants to release into the church as a doctrine and a teaching. Wow. Not, there's no, no such thing as in the Bible called the rubber band effect, but it has biblical principles to it, okay? So Joshua, before he would conquer any promised land, he would get up and spend time with the Lord. And he would get that strategic instruction on how to conquer the promised land. So, Kima, what I want you to do is I want you to, like, just without stretching the rubber band back, just try to throw it. Just try to throw it somewhere. Okay. So she had a woman take a rubber band and just throw it, and, and it just didn't go very far. All right. And now, try to, like, fling it. Just try not to hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so now she's pulling the rubber band back. And wow, that thing just took off like a rocket. See the rubber band effect. It's just like Joshua conquering all those different promised lands. She did say that in the plural. Okay, now what I want you guys to see is I want you to see when Kima didn't pull the rubber band back, she it went forward maybe a foot or two. When Kima pulled the rubber band back, it went forward like 20 or 30 feet. It's the same thing when you spend time with God. Uh-huh. It's just like the rubber band effect. Okay. When we pull- you, you can really rapidly take over your promised lands over the next seven months if you apply this rubber band effect to your promised land conquering strategies. Pull back with God. It's like we stretch back and then we fling ahead. Amen. When we don't spend time... People were saying amen to this. God, we move forward very slowly. And so I want you to think about your prayer. Uh, that's good, Kimon. I want you to think about your prayer life in the rubber band effect. The first- right, yeah, I'll be thinking about that, Kay. <clears throat> so, uh, as you can see, uh, she clearly doesn't understand what the promised land is pointing to, like, not at all. And now she's, like, deceiving herself and other people by claiming that she she now has tips and strategies on how to you know, conquer your promised lands in a, in a much quicker way, much quicker way. Yeah, this is nonsense. This is delusion and <clears throat> not biblical teaching at all. All right, moving along, we're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, heading to global presence as we listen to Renee Toller explain to us about eternity in the present. Eternity in the present. Here we go. Or you can sit for this. You can open your eyes or you can close your eyes. So there are many options. I'll explain to you what we're going to do. And then you can decide if you want to like close your eyes or open them. So what I want you to do is I want you to stretch your mind. Okay. Like a rubber band. Do the like biggest amount of space that you could ever fathom. Okay. So like, I'm not thinking just like, you know, the size of the city or the nation. I'm thinking like globe. No, let's, let's go solar system. Okay, let's so yeah that, okay so stretch my mind to think of something big beyond that let's go like milky way is just like super small okay so, like stretch your mind as far as it can go okay I usually have- i'm stretching oh man this hurts really bad close my eyes i'm gonna close my eyes okay so like think of the biggest amount of space that you ever could yeah now take that and shrink it down because there's so much more. So uh, however far you just stretch, like shrink it down and make it like the size of a period on a page. 
All right. So, however big you were thinking of the entire universe, now stretch that down into a period on a page. Okay. Holy smokes, that's a lot. Okay. All right. So now, now stretch your mind again yeah, and like I'm, my my. Oh man. Oh, I think I pulled a hamstring. Oh, oh man. Oh, it's a brain. I've got a brain hamstring injury here. I oh, I should have pre-stretched. Think about how far you can go. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Take that. Now shrink it down again. Oh, man. Oh, man. The shrinking thing. Oh, okay. Now, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get up for like a week after this. Okay. Okay. Hey, now stretch again. You see where I'm going with this? Just keep. No. I have no idea where you're going with this. Going, keep going. Keep going. Okay. You're never, ever. Is this what they call a guided meditation? You know, I just had to ask. We're going to find the end of eternity. Yeah. You're never, ever, ever going to find the end of, of the expanse of space. Like, if there is an end, like, the well, Lord. actually, space does have a limit. Yeah, it, it, it is currently expanding, but it does have a limit. Space is not infinite. Yeah, the time-space continuum has a beginning, and as it's expanding, its its horizon, its border is continuing to move outward. But there is actually an end to space, yes. still is bigger than that. So just think for a moment of how small we are in the middle of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm tiny and for sure. <laughs> yet, how the Lord thinks the world of us. This Now, by the way, that's most certainly true. Yeah, who, who am I that God should think on me and know me like how he says like in the midst of that wow i find eternity in your hearts like that's how um what and dear you are to me so we're gonna we're gonna kind of be talking about living in light of eternity and how we can actually live our lives fully present in the moment we're in because i how how to live my life fully present in the moment i'm in you, you see, this is a weird talk here. Uh, the reason why is because every day of my life, I can only live in the present. Yeah. <laughs> and every moment that is in the present is the moment that I'm presently in. So why would I need a strategy to living in the present? Because reality is, is I can only live in the present. But the enemy is chiefly concerned with keeping us obsessed with two things yeah. that are not quite reality. I believe that he is obsessed with keeping us caught up in our past. Mm, okay. All right. So the enemy is obsessed with keeping me caught up in the past. Do you have a biblical text that says this? How did you come by this enemy intelligence? Mistakes of the past. Either he'll get you caught up in the mistakes of the past or he'll get you to idolize the past. Uh, mistakes would be called sins. They're called sins, not mistakes. They're not oopsies, slipsies, and oopsie-daisies. They're sins. Like, oh, man, it was so good back then. I had it all together. Actually, your life was probably dysfunctional. But you just think, oh, I had it all together. It was so amazing. Everything was perfect. I wasn't going through this. Okay. Or you'll be like, oh man, I was so broken. I can never get past that. My family history, all of this, it's just, I'm stuck. I can't get past that, okay? Uh -huh. So that's one area that the enemy is concerned with keeping us obsessed with. Again, how did you come by this enemy intelligence? Did a demon tell you this? Or with the future. The future kind of exists, but it kind of doesn't. It's like true in both ways. One, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. The Lord knows what's going to happen. Okay. But how many times do we live in the future rather than being in the present? 
And what I'm talking about is being concerned or worried or anxious about how that's going to go tomorrow. Yeah, that's called unbelief. Yeah, Jesus actually addresses that uh, form of unbelief in the Sermon on the Mount. Or how that's going to be in five years from now or how that's going to be there. And we're, we're living these moments over and over again, even yeah. though it's not yet reality. Right. I, when I was younger, I had a motto that I would tell my... Yeah, which she says when she was younger. I mean, how much younger? You know, four years? I mean, did you, when did you graduate high school? Sisters. So I'm one of six children. I'm the third oldest. And then I've got two younger sisters under me and a little brother. And um, I loved to mentor my little sisters. They're amazing. Sometimes I was a really, really good influence in their lives, and sometimes I was a little bit of a control freak. So it's like, I am responsible for your emotional and spiritual well-being. Anyway, the Lord has freed me from that oversense of responsibility, and they are doing amazingly now. But anyway, one of my favorite mottos to tell them was, freaketh not out. Freaketh not out. Uh, I'm glad you said that, because I'm about to freaketh outeth, something liketh that ith. It was great. They'd be like, ha, ha, and I'd be like, freaketh not out. They, they got so tired of me saying, it doesn't matter. It's still good. So I'm just going to tell you our motto for today. Well, one of them is freaketh not out. Because God. Motto. Yeah. So apparently we're into motto preaching. What has happened to the pulpits in America? They have been turned over to people who are clearly not qualified to teach. They are not actually exegeting biblical texts. And in fact, in the case of these women, um, they are literally defying the clear instructions of God regarding whether or not women should be teaching in Jesus' church. You know, just saying. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. When we return, we'll be hearing from David Hughes and previewing his Jumanji sermon and listening to see if Jim Baker is in financial straits. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put um, in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. 
nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh... Expects. Uh, expects. No, nobody expects the, um, purpose-driven... Inquisition? Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven Inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do... Our chief weapons are... Our chief weapons are, um... Purpose. Uh, uh vision Okay, and, okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick... Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. 
What if um the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there are a lot of people who don't know how to handle God's Word who are actually standing in front of churches preaching when they shouldn't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click the Become a Patron button, and you can support us in that way. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button or the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, time for a vision casting leader update. Let's do this.
tonight I'm gonna take the word and twist it Vision. You know, I uh, recently heard from a listener that uh, they had gone to a foreigner concert. Yeah, they, they, a foreigner apparently is still out there touring, and they went to a foreigner concert. And uh, the song "Double Vision" has been per- has been permanently ruined for them. So, so I just want to let you know if you're a foreigner fan and you. Uh, head off to uh, one of the foreigner concerts as they're traveling the country. Just saying, you might have difficulty singing along <laughs> with the word with the, the words with <clears throat> double vision. All right, so we're heading to Church by the Glades, and uh, David Hughes is the vision casting leader there, and uh, they uh, they decided to rev up their movie sermonage like way early. I mean, really early. I mean, normally. We don't see movie sermons until after Memorial Day, but they're on it. They're over. They're on it. They're at uh, Church by the Glades, and the name of the sermon series is Family Drive-In. And no joke, they have cars parked in the front aisles of Church by the Glades, and there are there they are convertibles, and so special VIPs are allowed to sit in those vehicles and eat popcorn during the sermon. Yeah. The name of the sermon, are you sitting down? You probably already know this already. It's Jumanji. Yeah, you know, because that's a popular movie right now. So uh, here's David Hughes. Oh, yeah. What is up, CBG? Glad you're here. So I'm watching not a movie. I'm watching a docudrama some years ago. And in this docudrama, they're reenacting something that really happened is the, the guy is a hiker, so it's a story about this hiker. He's not like, you know, you take a hike in the woods with your family. It's kind of fun. He's an extreme hiker, meaning this, that he, he hikes all by himself. He goes in very remote areas. Uh, cell phones don't work. Uh, rugged terrain. And so he's doing one of these extreme hikes in the American Northwest somewhere. And all of a sudden, the weather changes. Suddenly unexpected, from comfortable to cold to very cold to a little snow to a lot of snow to a blizzard. And he's literally freezing to death. Unless he can find some kind of shelter, get warm, he's going to die all by himself in the wilderness. But as fate would have it, he finds his old abandoned cabin. He jimmies the door. He gets inside and he finds a pot belly stove. And there's wood. There's even kindling. Now he just needs some way to ignite a flame. 
And so he rummages through all the, the dresser drawers and the kitchen cabinets. And finally, in an old roll-top desk, he finds a box of matches. A box of matches. Actually, I shouldn't call it a box of matches. A box with a single match in it. Now imagine this. He's about to die. He has one match and has just one chance to save his life. The big idea today is just like that. It's one. It's one. You have one shot at this thing called life. And I want to talk about making this one life that God has blessed you with something extraordinary. So glad you're here. What's up, Church by the Glades? So, don't- so the theme is something akin to YOLO. You only live once, so you know, make it great. Okay. This, the one point in the preacher's one point sermon goes to one point. The one point sermon is one, is one. To make sure you get it, when I say two, right after I say two, you say one. Ready? Five, four, three, two. You may not know we are one church in six different locations. Let's give it up for our campuses right now. Folks watching on TV, watching online, we're glad you're with us. Thank you for taking this uh, this one day and investing in our church. I think God's going to reward you for that. So I do want to talk to you about the big idea of one. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians. New Testament, go to Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4. And I know, too, as today I'm talking about one, if you were here for Easter, and I hope you were, in Easter, of course, we have the biggest crowd in the 35-year history of our church for Easter weekend, which is awesome. But wait, wait. Last week, though... Because, uh, I, I, you know, Easter's a big holiday, and some people hit the holidays. Last week, for a non-holiday, was the largest crowds we've ever seen in our history, too. So that was phenomenal. So if you're part of last week, get it up for yourself. It was so much fun. And, and I know we all dig movies. So uh, last week, we did Greatest Showman. Creative team was phenomenal. Next week, do you want to? Yes, they, they preached a sermon on the Greatest Showman. I, it, it doesn't appear in the Bible, I, you know, I'm just saying. Next week, should I tell you? I'm, I'm trying to just decide whether or not. All right, next week is actually the, the most popular movie of last year. It's not Jumanji. Jumanji was second. Black Panther. So Black Panther's coming next week. Oh yeah, that's it. It's all love for Black Panther. Oh my gosh, not just popular sociologically. What happens that movie? Very very. So be here next week. Whether you like that movie, don't like that movie, we're gonna have a ton of fun. But you know, on Easter we talked about the idea of three. I mentioned that the number three shows up a whole lot in the Easter narrative and the story of the crucifixion and surely the resurrection, all kinds of threes, three nails, three crosses, three, th- three you know, uh, denials of Jesus, three. But one, those a smaller number, don't misunderstand how vital one is. Because if you have just a few or a limited number of anything that's remarkable, it makes it all the more precious or significant. And if you have just one of something, just one of something beautiful. It makes it so valuable. Example, um, there's a vase here on the stage. The production team flew it out very carefully. Why this doesn't belong to me. I didn't want it on stage during the worship and during the creative moment because those people are running everywhere and twirling fiery things. So anyways, I want to make sure it was safe. This is on loan. Uh, it belongs to a member in our church who collects rare ceramics. And he told me if I ever had a moment to use it in church as an illustration, I could borrow this. As long as I was careful with it, it's literally a one of a kind. A famous French uh, artist, his name, André René Rossimoff. Rossimoff made this about 80 years ago. And Rossimoff always uh, created his ceramics in very limited supply, small batches. And originally they think he made maybe six or eight of these. But my friend said, this is the only one left. It is a one of a kind. And when something is a one of a kind, there's just one that's beautiful, you protect it. You're careful with it. You're not casual with it. So this is a one of a kind. 
five, four, three, two, one. One. Look at Ephesians chapter four. Look how the one shows up time and time again in this passage on the screen right now. Uh, read the highlighted word. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith. Come on. One baptism, one God and Father. One. Paul says, man, one is this huge idea. So make a little noise if you've seen Jumanji. Who's seen Jumanji? Who's seen Jumanji? Okay. Made over a billion dollars worldwide. Kind of a surprise hit. It came out on the heels of Star Wars. And Star Wars, you know, they're always big. Any movie in that franchise, within a couple of weeks, it became the number one movie in America. Uh, why? Well, you know, you remember the 1995 Jumanji with Robin Williams? Yeah, that was a good movie. A little dark, a little dark. Yeah, some Robin Williams love, right? When Robin Williams died, if you're my age, you felt like you lost a member of your family. You felt like you lost this sweet, crazy uncle, right? And so how sad that he passed. But the original Jumanji was a classic. It was good, but kind of dark. The new one, not dark. It's not a remake. It is a sequel. Now, the author of the book Jumanji, uh, Chris Van Allensby, he wrote a sequel to Jumanji, but it's set in outer space. And so the producers wanted to do one much more like the original, where the context would be the jungles. They wrote a brand new script. They sent the script to Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. He loved the script. By the way, I do love The Rock. The Rock's phenomenal in action movies. South Florida product, by the way. He did play for the University of Miami. In fact, here's some movie trivia. If you watch Kathleen Jumanji, the, the teenager Fridge wears a football jersey with 94. That was Rock's number when he played for the U. Just saying right there. So The Rock loved the script and was a fan of the 1995 classic. Uh, so he signed on. Jack Black felt the same way when he saw the script, as well as Kevin Hart. And here's a cool thing. Any Nick Jonas fans in the house? Woo! Yeah, my daughter is cheering somewhere, right? Uh, she loves Nick Jonas. Nick Jonas was not the first choice uh, to play Seaplane McDonough. They wanted to give it to Tom Holland, but Tom Holland was busy shooting Spider-Man. So they kicked it to Nick Jonas. And Nick Jonas, when he got the phone call from his agent, he was on his tour bus watching on the DVD Jumanji from 1995. So it's meant to happen. Now, if you've not... Ah, man, talk about the reading of omens there. What does this have to do with scripture? And by the way, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. My wife, by the way, she loves like... She loves the girl movies, man. She loves anything with a storyline about a relationship. She loves romance. She loves movies that make you cry at the end. I hate to pay money to cry. Anyway, she loves those kind of movies. So my house... She wanted us to watch the movie Wonder. Anybody seen Wonder? Sweet movie about a little boy. Supposedly it's a really good movie. And she said, man, you got to watch it. And so Zane and I agreed to watch Wonder. And so we sat down on the couch. And we were just being good sports. So we went to On Demand. And they didn't have Wonder. So then it was our turn. We said, how about Jumanji? And so Lisa, with a bit of a bad attitude, arms crossed, said, okay, I'll watch Jumanji. And about 10 minutes into it, she's cracking up. She will tell you, it's fun. If you like action-adventure about as good as it gets, very creative, because in the sequel, you know, the original Jumanji was a board game. This time it's a video game. And the teenagers get sucked into the game. And the part I want to focus on today is uh, the video console, so this old console. And old video games, like classics, if you're like me, remember like the really old ones, like Pac-Man and Super Mario Brothers, right? You got multiple lives. I mean, make sure you get the green mushroom. You want multiple lives. But in some of the newer video games like Fortnite, any Fortnite players in the house? Some of y'all lying in church. I know you're playing Fortnite. You play Fortnite solo mode, you get one life. It's a one and done. 
Okay, the Bible teaches when it comes to this earthly existence, you just get one. You just get one. God gifts you with life one time. So anything that you get one of that is remarkable and beautiful, you better take care of it. You better be smart. Um, I, I would disagree with you. Yeah, the reason I would disagree is because Scripture is very clear that we will be resurrected. We will experience eternal life. In fact, we are just sojourners here. If you think back to the segment we did on K. Nash, where we read out from Hebrews 11, all of these people died in faith not having received the promises, but they will in the future. We're all going to be raised again. So, um, you know, <laughs> I just I just find it weird that you're putting all of the emphasis on the present life when the Apostle Paul says if we're hoping in Jesus for this life only, then we're to be pitied. That kind of misses the whole point. And so, uh, yeah, it's not really kind of a one and done. It's a one and then resurrected either to eternal life or eternal damnation. Yeah, just just saying. So, I mean, it's, again, it's weird listening to him preaching on Jumanji, but it's even more weird having you know hearing a Christian pastor not really accurately depicting what Scripture teaches regarding things of this nature. All right, we're gonna jump out of our Jumanji sermon. As which, by the way, why on earth are you preaching on Jumanji? Is the Bible suffering? From uh, an inability to hold people's attention, the living and active Word of God. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Uh, And we're going to switch over to the uh, Jim Baker show. And in so doing, I just hope you're sitting down because um, we are going to (laughs) change it up as far as our Jim Baker show update music. Here we go. I've got burgers made of beans. They're never fried. Sauber chips and salsa To keep me warm way deep inside (laughs) Oh yeah I guess you'd say Jim and Lori Help me be prepared today for end times Uh, I'm talking about end times For a stormy day Beets and spinach and blueberry and strawberries Filtered water from Seychelles To take the poisons away I like that too much I guess you'd say Jim and Lori Help me be prepared today for end time and times and times yeah i think you get the idea so that's our new uh, jim and Lori baker update music <sighs> okay so we're heading over to the jim baker show and we're just gonna ask the question is uh, jim baker in financial straits yeah there, i have to ask the question because what we're going to hear from him is uh, uh some pretty high pressure sales pitch stuff going on 
to buy his end times food supplies and things like that. But he traffics in doom and gloom, that is for sure. But something he's going to say along the way is uh, going to make us ask the question, is he really in financial straits or is he just crying wolf? You know, you just have to ask because, I mean, after all, he is a wolf. But uh, let's listen in. Here's uh, Jim Baker talking about the Tasty Pantry Deluxe Buckets. Here we go. We do what God has spoke to me to do. We have we have prepared more people, probably than any other organization in America, for the last days. We have prepared thousands and thousands and thousands of homes that people should we have an emergency. And this last few weeks, this is just this week's news on Yellowstone. You had... All right. So this is from April 16th, 2018. And this is just this week's news regarding Yellowstone. In your... In the Shepherd's In the Shepherd's Yes. Can can you share some of that today? I can. Here, let me read what it says. Yellowstone, current seismic swarm. What does it mean? Is the Yellowstone supervolcano close to erupting? Scientists detect more than 200 earthquakes in just 10 days after warning that magma below the surface is showing signs of strain. They're talking about this magma going all the way down to Mexico. And then Yellowstone is rumbling again. These are headlines from the last few days. Yellowstone rumbling again. Supervolcano eruption fears grow as many quakes hit. Yellowstone volcano eruption. Life or death. Prep for supervolcano emergency underway. And new evidence suggests a massive magma plume under Yellowstone Park. But these headlines, this is being a watchman. And we've warned people, if this thing goes off, it will change not just America. It's going to change the world. A big percentage of America will be killed immediately. But here's the thing we're, we're trying to talk about today. And I, I went off kind of on that earthquake there, that Yellowstone. That volcano, the scientists keep warning us, it hasn't gone off for millions of years. And they say it could go any day now. So this is his tactic. I mean, he's always trafficking in doom and gloom and possible end of the world apocalyptic type scenarios. And really, you know, trying to get people to purchase his food buckets as a result of his, you know, end times fear mongering is the best way that I can put it. And so what we're listening to is like the typical type of of uh, of manipulation that he engages in. But there's going to be a little bit more to it. We continue. And I'm not saying it's going, but the, I know what the Bible says. There's going to be volcanoes. Mm-hmm. There's going to be earthquakes in many, many places. And the earthquakes have just grown and grown and grown. And so we are helping thousands of people prepare for any emergency by having food in their house. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be prepared now, this is the final offer on the Tasty Pantry offer. And if you want to get one bucket, it's $175, and it's free shipping. 
Mm-hmm. We need to stop paying shipping. It, we are really financially back. We're behind our bills right now mm-hmm. because we we start we've been paying shipping. Yeah, and the shipping we we've spent millions of dollars on shipping the last few months. So apparently, the Jim Baker Show is behind on their bills, and it's because of the millions of dollars they're behind in shipping. So you know, I just have to ask the question: Is Jim Baker mismanaging money again? It's he's done that before. He went to prison for it. I just have to ask: Is he mismanaging money again? You know what's going on there, or is this just him creating some kind of a high-pressure, manipulative environment in order to really, you know, press people for more money? I mean, that's what I'd like to know. And it's hurting our budget severely. But we're going to all this food we're offering right now we're paying for shipping as well mm-hmm. and so so uh, again it's free shipping which is so important you know you hear it a lot on in, with different products but when you're talking about i'm like heavy buckets like i'm seeing over here i'm i mean that's amazing that we're including that yeah. it's free shipping this is the time it's right now to order it don't think about it don't hesitate yeah don't think about it buy it right now price three thousand seven hundred dollars don't think about it just buy it now Uh uh-huh just right now just pick up your smartphone and call 1-888-988-1588 or go to our website jimbakershow.com okay this all this on this table now listen to me I want you to do it today. Uh, he needs you to do it right now. They're they're way behind on paying their bills. Mm-hmm. One day, the thing that God has showed me is people crying and gnashing of teeth when things happen and they're not prepared. Mm-hmm. And they can be prepared. Mm-hmm. This one bucket of food is on this table. This is all prepared here this morning, all of this is brand new. One, just one bucket. You can let's start down here, Monda. We'll start yeah. at this side of the table because I want people to know what's in this bucket. Absolutely. Now, let's put the year on the screen next. Mm-hmm. The one year of food is four buckets. That's right. And uh, that's four times four is sixteen. That's more than a year. That's then. right. We we do throw in an extra bucket, really an extra four months of food there, and it's six hundred and fifty dollars to the ministry plus free shipping. Wow, you're getting an extra four, four months, months bonus with this. That's right. For the for the next few days is all, and then That's it's right. over. In fact, it's over on uh, May first, right? Yeah, it may. Yep, that's right. So May first that will be the last day that you can order anything. So that was, that's the end of this whole thing. And if you want to do it, you better do it now. This is in stock. It's fresh food. Yes. And, and, if, and if they run out right now while you're ordering, they will make more. But the price has gone up so high that half of the food in this, let me quickly, there's pancakes yep. down pancakes. here. Let's start with the pancakes. You got a beautiful pancake there. That, that's the pancakes. Yes. And then Mondo, there's pudding out there. I shouldn't. That's the chocolate that's your pudding. Dessert. There's there's chocolate pudding. Yes. And all of this, it's, it took two dishes for some of these these to be, make you know, up we, great we, big bowls. We even have honey powder that will you can add to your pancakes. It's, and it becomes to, real honey. 
Yes. It's 30-year shelf life food. 30 years. In 30 years, you still have honey. Can you imagine if there's an EMP bomb? And the whole country stopped. Just imagine an EMP bomb. You, you don't you don't want to be without food because of an EMP bomb. And 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 Yellowstone's about to go any second now. You have this food. We've got enough food to take care of our family at our home. Yes. So, my kids. You may not want your kids to come home sometimes, but <laughs> I want. <laughs> I always want my kids to come home. Mm -hmm. But we're prepared. For all of our kids. And if they don't stop having kids, we're going to have to add more food. So I need to get probably one more. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to order it right now on the air. I want, I want to get the, one of the last of the seven years. And so I get three years almost. Yes. So, uh, bonus. So that's about 10 years of food for how much, Ricky? Is that for one? That's $3,700 for the, the time of trouble offer right there. And so do you know what I'm saving on that when, yeah. it, when I get that now? So what you're actually going to be saving on that is you're going to save uh, $7,836. That's plus $560 in free shipping that we're throwing in. How could you have food for 10 years that lasts 30 years on the shelf? There's nothing like this in America. Nobody yeah. has price of food like we do. Mm -mm. And then what you're doing, you're helping save babies when you give when you order your food here. Because the profit, which is not a great profit, but it's a profit uh, that's on it less than other people get when they sell food. But we use this to supply the need to pay for television, to keep us on the air. All right. So they, they're, they're behind. They can't pay their bills and they've got to, you know, stay on the air. Pay for everything we do. The light bill, this big old Studio, which is really a street out here, inside street, looks like Paris, supposedly. And uh, can you imagine the power bill of this place? But we have to pay all this for television and these cameras and the equipment and all. And God willing this, we're going to open our new studio this year because this is the place of the prophets. Yes. This is the prop the, the place of the prophets. Okay. Uh, chambers really the prophet studios yes. is going to open this year yes. Amen. and we call it what do we call it the, we called it the, prophet, call the, the, the hall of prophets the hall of prophets you know everybody how. who we, yeah the hall of prophets yeah so again notice the the just the, you know, over and again the references to end of the world we got to pay our bills uh we're behind on our bills yellowstone's gonna go off what about those emp bombs and it's just pressure 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 and they're in the middle of a big building project as well. Again, you know, just how far behind is he on his bills? Is he mismanaging his money again like he did with the whole PTL scandal? You just have to wonder. Made a thousand dollars to to help me build the studio to finish it. I'm going to put their name really on this in that lobby. It's going to be gorgeous. And we're going to have paintings of the prophets down through the century. And somebody who doesn't say they're a prophet, I'm putting their picture in the Hall of Faith is Billy Graham. Yes. Because I believe he prophesied to this world. All right. So Billy Graham's a prophet now. The preach means to prophesy. And I believe he prophesied so much. And uh, so I'm calling him a prophet. So you don't have to argue with me on that. Just let me be. Yes. You know, be, let me be what I believe. Because I believe the man is a prophet that God sent. 
And I believe his death signals something. We're in a we're in a new level. We're in a new level. It signals something really bad, folks. I mean, Yellowstone's about to go. You know, don't even think about it. Just buy three thousand seven hundred dollars worth of food right now, quick. Something's going to happen. Billy Graham died, and he was a prophet. And oh yeah, we're at, we're at a new level and stuff. New plateau. This is a time, and so I'm asking all of you be prepared. And we're building this studio this year. You know, in the in the natural, with all the trouble time there, you'd say, "Well, why don't you just stop, Jim? Why don't you give up? Why do you keep fighting? Why do you keep going? Because I'm going to go to the end. I'm going to do my job that God called me to do." Amen. Yeah, God called him to prepare everybody with food buckets. Yeah. Yes. I- yeah, I thought the church is supposed to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching all that Christ has commanded. How did he get this super special prepper assignment? Yeah, it's kind of strange. I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our uh, second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a sermon by Robert Padu, and it's a mess. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hey, you. Yeah, you, listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, dumpster fire so if you're looking for some extra pirate christian media goodness in your life head on over to youtube and search for fighting for the faith and subscribe
two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Trinity Church in Cedar Hill. Robert Madu presiding. The name of the sermon is C-U-P. Yeah, that's right. The letters C-U-P, which spells cup. And uh, we're going to experience Jesus. if you're not sure what that is. It's a narcissistic reading of yourself into the biblical text, and the egregious part about this is not merely is it a biblical text, that would be like damnable in and of itself, but the text in question is the story of Jesus's, you know, literally languishing in prayer and sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. So... Let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's Robert Madu and uh, his sermon, C-U-P. Here we go. Still bring Bibles to church? Come on. If you got a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do care. Good good stuff. Some of your Bibles are glowing. Charged up your Bible today. Thank you for that. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages of scripture, but before we look at our main text, let's read our theme verse for the year together as a family, Hebrews 10, 35 to 36. Are you ready? It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. In our main text today, I want to look at Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. It declares, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. How many know when Jesus prays, we should probably pay attention to what he prays. He prayed this, my father, if it is possible that this cup may be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. Oh, but that flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Can you say amen? Remain standing three times. Jesus prays about this cup, this cup. What is the deal with the cup that he keeps praying about? Larry, could you bring me a glass of water real quick, that cup of water? Thank you so much. Keep standing. I'm trying to milk all the preaching time I can get. Just keep standing. Oh, you didn't put anything in this, did you? You didn't poison me, did you? Because I, I want you to see the context of the cup that Jesus is talking about. Because in biblical antiquity, whenever they wanted to kill a king, they would put poison in the king's cup. Just like what happened, you bring it. Yeah, that, that's only one of the ways in which monarchs were brought to an early end. Yeah, poison was one of them, not the only way. Drink it, king is dead. That's why you had to have a cup bearer to test the cup before the king would drink it. So the point of the poison was for the king to drink it unknowingly, for you know it, king would be dead. What is to be said then of a king who would drink a cup with poison and he knows that poison is in the cup? That king must... Yeah, Jesus was drinking to the dregs the cup of the fury of the wrath of God. Confident in the fact that death will not have the final say. Oh, help me preach second service. If you know there's poison in the cup and you still choose to drink it, you must be confident under pressure. I want to preach today for six hours, four minutes, and 23 seconds from the title, Cup. Cup. That's my title today, Cup. Confidence under pressure. Confidence under pressure. That's kind of missing the whole point because the narrative goes on from there to Jesus' betrayal, his trial, his crucifixion and resurrection from the grave. The text that you read is part of the overall passion narratives of Christ suffering for our sins so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God the Father. I mean, this is... You talk about missing the whole point. Confidence under pressure. Look at the neighbor next to you. Get in their face. Get in their personal space and say, neighbor. Oh, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. Come on, say, neighbor. You need a cup. You need confidence. I need a cup. I need confidence under pressure. This is blasphemy. And I, and I mean it. I mean, talk about robbing Christ of his glory because it is his glory that he has died for our sins, that we are forgiven because of his work on the cross. Oh, man. Under pressure. Oh, that neighbor was stuck up. They didn't want to talk to you. Find another neighbor. Find another neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor. I'm telling you, you need a cup. You need confidence under pressure. If you believe God's going to speak, would you give him? No, you need a crucified and risen Savior. That's what you need. Praise in this place today. Woo. 
Father, speak all over the house today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Are you good under pressure? Let's just do a little quick sermonic survey. How many would say by a showing of hands that you do well under pressure? I see your hand, you do well under pressure. Wow, that's more hands in the first service. Okay. How many of you say, nope, not me. I do not do well under pressure at all. Okay, awesome. Thank you for your honesty. See, we just- this text is not about learning how to do well under pressure. Rated the champions from the chokers. Uh, I'm playing, I'm playing. Um, I, I just showed you a scene that comes from one of my favorite movies in the world. It's called The King's Speech. English actor Colin Firth in the movie brilliantly portrays the life of King George VI, who in the 1930s desperately did not want to be king of the United Kingdom but all of a sudden was pushed into position by purpose. And that public position, the weight of that public position, exposed a private battle with a stutter, a stammer that would occur in the speech every time he got ready to be under pressure. And to be honest with you, when I first saw that movie, I cried like a baby. Bought the movie on DVD, Blu-ray, and VHS. Watched it about a hundred more times and cried again because that opening scene, that opening scene as he's walking down the corridor and he stands in front of the microphone with his lips parched, his palms sweaty, his heart pulsating with the terror and trembling trepidation of being in front of the crowd. And the whole crowd turns around with tiptoe anticipation to look at what he has to say. And all of a sudden you can see the fear in his eyes. That is how I feel every time I got to stand behind this pulpit to pray every every time. What does that have to do with Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? I have to stand behind the pulpit. That is exactly what I feel like. Now, I hide my nerves well. Oh, yeah, because sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. This text isn't about you and your nerves. But the reality is the difference between standing up there and sitting right here, oh, it is pressure. It is pressure to get up and preach before. Y'all don't see your face when I'm up here. It is pressure. Oh, you don't believe me? You don't believe Let's just announce next week that you preaching. Oh, yes, yes. Let's just announce. Let's just pick a random person. Brother, what's your name? What's your name, sir? Nate, okay, let's just, hey, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for next Sunday. Nate is going to stand before you and declare the word of God. Next Sunday, get ready, buckle up your seatbelt. Nate is going to preach. He's sweating right now. He's about to pass out. I felt his heart. You understand that it is a statistical fact, a statistical fact that the number one human fear is public speaking. Public death is number two. <laughs> so that means that means when given the option to speak at a funeral or have a funeral, most people say, "Give me the casket. Give me the casket. I would rather have my arms like this than my arms like this." It is pressure to speak, pressure to preach, especially to preach. I mean, think of it. This is in the category all by itself because when you are standing behind a pulpit, you are not giving a cute talk. You're not giving a nice little speech when you stand behind the pulpit, you are serendipitously and subliminally suggesting to us that you have put yourself in the presence of God, put your ear 
to the heartbeat of heaven. So when you open up your mouth, you're not saying what you want to say, but you are speaking on the behalf of the omnipotent, preeminent, preexistent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, almighty God. That that is pressure. That is pressure. It's a lot of pressure to stand up and preach. Yeah, then why aren't you rightly handling the biblical text that you said this sermon is based on? Leave the sermon early because you'll leave today and say, man, Robert just complained about his calling, the pressure of preaching because no, the reason I'm standing before you today to preach this message is because I'm fully aware and cognizant of the fact that there are people in this room who will lift up your hand and say, Robert, I'm not a preacher and I'm not a public speaker, but I am under an intense amount of pressure. Right, yes. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane is all about. To give you a, you know, the confidence under pressure when you're feeling the pressure thing, yeah. I don't know what it's like to be under pressure. I'm telling you, if the thoughts in this room could go on speakerphone, you would be shocked at the pressure that is on the person sitting next to you. If pressure could go public today, you would be shocked at the pressure that some people are carrying. Have you ever felt pressure? Pressure to perform. Pressure to please people. Pressure to meet other people's expectations. Pressure to meet people's unrealistic expectations. Pressure to meet your own expectations. Pressure to be a good parent. Pressure to be a good husband. Pressure to be a good wife. Pressure pressure can come from all kinds of areas. Clearly, he's not feeling any pressure to be an accurate and faithful exegete of God's word. Pressure can come from the most silliest thing. Pressure to post the Pinterest perfect Easter Sunday photo on Instagram and Facebook. Oh yeah, don't act like I didn't see some of y'all last week. You almost choked your child in a field of blue bonnets. Just trying to get them to be still. Can we just get one picture, please? Just one picture. Pressure. Pressure. Not for Facebook, but for the comparison. Because you know, everybody else is going to post their Easter picture with their family in perfect pastor. Pressure can come from everything. Everywhere, pressure, pressure to be a good friend, pressure to get married. Are you still single? Pressure to get a divorce. Are you still with him? Pressure to have kids. I sure would like some grandchildren. Pressure. Does anybody know what it's like to feel pressure? I'm telling you, pressure will hit you right where you are because pressure is not prejudice. Pressure is not racist. Pressure does not participate in classism. Pressure will hit you wherever you are in the spectrum of life. Pressure will hit you no matter your age. It'll hit a CEO in a boardroom. It'll hit a junior high student in a classroom. Pressure can come from everywhere Does anybody know what it's like to deal with pressure? And I think this is an important topic to preach on for the season of our church. Because since the beginning... Really? Um, Why aren't you exegeting the text you read? This year, we've read the theme verse, right? And the theme verse is about confidence. That you've got to keep your confidence. Don't lose your confidence. And we've said that the enemy cannot touch your calling. He can't touch your calling, but he can get your confidence. And if he gets your confidence, then he'll get your calling. And I'm telling you today that the two... Which biblical text says that? That the enemy will use to get your confidence is pressure. Pressure is the tool that he will use to get your confidence and affect your calling. As a matter of fact, I think that pressure is the litmus test for confidence. 
Because I mean, you know, it's, a, it's one thing to have confidence. It's another thing to have confidence under pressure. You don't know if you really have confidence unless you have confidence under pressure. We don't know. This sounds like an extended, really long commercial for any perspirant or something. How you really perform until you are under pressure. Come on, I know you can kick a field goal from 40 feet away at practice. But can you do it during the Super Bowl when it's 100,000 people in the stands, 100 million people watching on TV, and there's no time left on the clock and the team is down by one? Can you make it then? I know you can make a great 15-foot putt at top golf. But could you make it when you were at the Masters? Okay, you don't like that sports illustration. Let me make it practical. I know you can be... I'll never play the Masters about your marriage and love your spouse when they get a raise and the money's good in the bank and the kids are making straight A's and Kool-Aid's coming out of the water fountain. But can you be excited about your marriage when your spouse loses the job, the money is funny, the change is strange, the final notice letter has been sent, your kids are absolutely off the chain, crazy, stronger. Can you be happy about the marriage then? Come on, I know you can worship when your body is healthy and you feel real good. Look at you. You drove yourself to church today. But can you worship when the cancer is spreading, when the tumor is getting larger? If we rolled you in on a wheelchair today, could you still lift up your hands in the wheelchair and say, God, you are good. God, you are worthy of it all in spite of the circumstance. I feel like preaching. In spite of the circumstance I'm in. Oh, I know your faith is fine when God sends you flowers. But what do you do when your faith is facing a fiery furnace? Can you say like a three Hebrew boys with confidence, God can deliver us. God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. I'm still going to trust him because my praise is not predicated on the pressure you're putting on me. As a matter of fact, turn up the furnace because the pressure is producing something on the inside of me. It's making me better because I got confidence under pressure. I don't know who this is for, but I'm going to buy this DVD later and watch it. It's going to bless me. Pressure, pressure, pressure. I think, I think if I'm being honest, that pressure mounts up for believers more than any other group of people for believers. First of all, because the raw and real reality is that we have an enemy. How many know you have a real enemy? Satan is real. Demonic attack. Yeah. He's all about deception and you're deceiving these people. Is real. You have a real enemy, and just by virtue of the fact that you were created in the image of God, puts you on the hit list of hell. Yes, he hates you. He hates you because every time he sees you, it reminds him of what he lost. Have you ever Have you ever gotten a position? Yeah. Where'd you get this intel about the devil? Did a demon tell you this? Because it's not in the Bible. Somebody else used to be in, and that person's still at the job. And they're looking at you like, mm, that's the enemy. He hates you. He's a hater because he, you took his job. You, you took his place to give glory to God. So there is, there is external forces and circumstances that come against our lives that create pressure because the enemy's trying to taint your faith. But I also think that pressure mounts up for believers more than any other group of people because for some reason believers feel this undue pressure to pretend like we're always good. Like we always got it to- None of this has anything to do with Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like you don't ever have a bad day. Like, and, oh, oh, praise the Lord. Ah, yes, God is good all the time. I have a name for these people. I call them Botox believers. 
I love that, Frank. I call them Botox believers. Because you ever seen somebody just, a man or woman, just had too much Botox? Too much, just, just too much, and, and their face is stuck? Like this? You can tell them the worst news ever. They won't cry because they've lost the mobility in their face because of the surgery. There's so much money. They're like, ah! They want to cry, but they can't. That's how some believers are like, hey, God is good. But the old believers are the only people that can be going through hell. Going through hell. And they say, you'll go up to them and be like, are you good? You're like, ah, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And you want to look at them and go, I know God is good. I asked, are you good? <laughs> Are you doing okay? In fact, let's, let's just do an exercise. It's going to be liberated. It's going to be liberated. Would you do me a favor? Look at the person next to you and say, neighbor, God is good all the time. Say, all the time, God is good. Now look at that same neighbor and say, neighbor, newsflash, I'm not God. Ooh, isn't that liberated? Didn't that feel so good? You- no, that was utterly asinine. He's good all the time. But how many can be honest and say, I am not good all the time. Sometimes I'm annoyed. Sometimes I'm ticked off. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm worried. Sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I don't like when Robert preaches and says, tell your neighbor, because I don't want to talk to my neighbor, because I got so much pressure. Come on, somebody. Sometimes... I get discouraged. Sometimes I get worried. Sometimes I want to speak in a tongue that needs no interpretation. Uh, Pressure. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my hair. It's like a jungle sometimes. Pressure. Pressure. Sad thing is, is that his delivery is quite entertaining and engaging, but he's not saying anything even remotely biblical and sometimes it is it is the pressure of life coupled with the pressure to pretend you're okay that will cause you to explode or implode i'm gonna say that again the pressure of life coupled with the pressure to pretend you're okay can cause you to explode or implode because you can't balance the weight of the pressure I was studying this text, and I'm telling you, I heard from God to speak this today. No, you were not studying the text. That's very clear. And now you're taking your lack of study and blaming the point that you're going to come up with next on a direct revelation from God. God just inundated me with all these illustrations. I was reminded how every single car that was made after 2007 has something called TPMS. TPMS, every tire, every wheel. It's called Tire Pressure Monitoring System. They implemented this in cars after 2007 because of something that Congress passed called the Tread Act. That was when there was a big fallout in 1990 with Firestone where all these people's tires were exploding and I think hundreds of people lost their lives. And I don't know much about cars, but I thought that you needed the TPMS, the Tire Pressure Monitoring System, because the reason you would have a blowout is when there's too much pressure in the tire. It's like a balloon. I thought that's what causes blowouts. It's actually the opposite. Do you know what causes a blowout is when there is too little pressure in the car. And so when the weight of what you're carrying can't be balanced with the pressure that's in the tire, you have a blowout. Interestingly enough, that is the definition of burnout. Burnout is... Again, now you said God said that told this to you as you uh, have been studying and meditating on this text. What does this have to do with Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
and what is required, when what is required of you is more than the resources that are available to you, you begin to burn out. And this is the paradox of pressure because too little pressure can stop me from getting to my destination and too much pressure can stop me from getting to my destination. Come on, somebody. And the challenge is to maintain the right pressure. But please believe that too little pressure can still cause you to have a blowout and not get to your... Yeah. Tire pressure has nothing to do with the pressure that human beings feel in their lives as a result of work or anxieties or things like that. Your illustration is nonsense. There's nothing wrong with the weight is you didn't have enough pressure to sustain the weight. And I don't know who this is for, but somebody in here, you keep getting delays on your destiny, not because you have too much pressure, but because you have too little pressure. You have trouble with your purpose and your destiny, not because you're like... Destiny delays, really. Um, what does that have to do with Jesus' suffering again? Too complex, but because your life is too comfortable, you're trying to avoid the pressure. But how many know there is power in pressure? Every now and again, you need to thank God for having some pressure. Come on, your pressure teaches you how to pray. Your pressure teaches you how to worship. Your pressure will make you humble. Your pressure will make you empathize with other people. Oh, you ought to thank God for the pressure every now and again because there is a certain level of pressure that you need. If you don't believe me, next time you go on a flight, tell the captain, uh, I don't want you to pressurize the cabin because it hurts my ears. You know that the pilot going to tell you? Well, then you need to stay on the ground because we cannot fly at a certain altitude unless the cabin is pressurized. Come- oh, that is just absurd. Somebody, is there anybody that says, I want to go to the next level, so I'm cool with a certain amount of pressure, because I believe God's going to take me somewhere else? Yeah, notice the narcissistic focus here. Has nothing to do with Jesus' suffering for our sins. GPS, TPMS system, it, it lets you know when there is too little pressure in your tire, but unfortunately it does not let you know when there is too much pressure in your tire. So that is really the quintessential question is, how do you know when the pressure is too much? It's too much to bear. Have you ever felt like the pressure was too much to bear? I, I, uh, I love the Apostle Paul because we see this candid moment in Corinthians where Paul confesses that the pressure was too much. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. It's Paul's fancy way of saying, don't get it twisted. About the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's the Apostle Paul, the dude who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament, confessing sometimes the pressure was too much. This week, as a nation, we commemorated the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. What many people who celebrate the life of Dr. King don't know about his death is that while he died at the tender age of 39, when they completed the autopsy on his body, it was said that he had the heart of a 60-year-old. A 60-year-old. And doctors concluded that it was because of the amount of pressure and stress he was under while he was living. 
Isn't that crazy? That pressure would cause your heart to age faster than your body. He was under an intense amount of pressure. And yet, the night before his assassination, he gave the powerful mountaintop speech, the last speech he would ever give. And in that speech, in a prophetic sense, he says, longevity has its place. Like anybody, I would love to live a long life, but I'm not worried about that right now. I just want to do the will of God. He says, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. He says, tonight I'm happy. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And he dropped the mic and walked away. It's powerful, boy, I'm telling you. How do you do that? 60-year-old heart. That's confidence under pressure. How do you have confidence under pressure? I'm going to give you four points, which is big for me. I hope you take a note. All right. So four ways to have confidence under pressure. Where is this list found in Scripture? I'd like to see it, please. Because I usually don't do points. I want to give you four points, four things that you have to have if you're going to have confidence under pressure. Are you good? Number one, you're going to have confidence under pressure. You have to have a preview. Right, yeah. Which text says I have to have a preview in order to have confidence under pressure? A preview. You're going to have confidence under pressure? You need a preview. I am an avid movie watcher. An avid movie watcher. I love watching movies. And when you are a true movie fanatic, it is frustrating going to the movies with people who aren't movie fanatics. Hello, my wife. (laughs) Because... If you're a true movie fanatic, you know that if the movie starts at 7 o'clock, you need to be there at 6.30. Yes, because you got to get in line, that long line. you got to get your popcorn. To, uh, don't fill it up all the way because you got to go to the butter machine, hit the butter machine. Come on, somebody. Spread it all around. Don't stop because it's got to be even. Shake, shake, shake. Spread it all around again. Get your drink. Then go to your seat and you're in your seat by 6.55 and then you see the previews. But it's frustrating going with people who are not movie fanatics because they want to show up to a 7 o'clock movie at 7.30. Right as it's starting, they'll get so mad. They're talking about it's just the previews. What you mean it's just the previews? Come on, the only thing better to go and see a movie is going to see what movie you're going to see next while you're seeing the movie. Come on, and you got to see the previews. The previews are huge. I don't like to miss the... So step one of having confidence under pressure is go to the movies and see the previews? Come on, when it's a really good movie, I've got to see the previews because the previews are the only thing I have to hold on to until the premiere. The preview is the only thing I have to hold on to before the actual release date. I came to tell you that God will give you a prophetic preview of your purpose. But between... Oh, I feel like... Where does it say in the Bible that God will give you a prophetic preview of your purpose? I don't know any text that says that. Between the preview and between the premiere of what he's going to do in your life, there will be pressure in the meantime. And you got to hold on to the preview that God has given you before he speaks into pass the thing in your life. You got to have a preview. That's what Dr. King's had. He had a preview. He said, my eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. I got a preview of a coming attraction. God will always give you a preview. To your purpose. Abraham got a preview. Remember his preview? Look at the stars. Can you count them? As many as the stars are, that's how I'm. Yeah, again, just because Abraham got a promise from God and was told to go and look at the stars regarding that promise doesn't mean that that was a preview regarding his purpose. 
and that we should somehow expect the same for our lives. This is nonsense. Narcissistically so, too. Descendants. He got a preview, and when he was a senior citizen, and was trying to figure out how in the world was he gonna go get some Rogaine and some diapers. When is this gonna come to pass? How is that gonna work, God? He had to hold on to the preview when the pressure was mounting up. You remember Joseph? Joseph got a preview. God gave him a dream that he was gonna be in a rulership position, but it took a long time for the movie premiere to show up. Come- the scriptures are not about you. They are about Christ. The preview was about Jesus, not you. Potiphar accused wife, accused him of adultery. And all of a sudden he's in a prison trying to hold on to the preview. But when he got to the palace, it came to pass. It was his premiere day because God will always give you a preview to help you hold on to the preview while you're in pressure. I thought it was good too. I wish you would say amen and I just look at me. Preview. In the Garden of Gethsemane, please believe that Jesus got a preview. He got a preview. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us his preview. Oh, I see. The reason why you preached about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is because he had a preview. So you should expect one too. Forget what Jesus was actually doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. No, no, no. He had a preview. So you're going to get one too. No biblical text says this. For the joy that was set before him. By the way, you are that joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He got a preview, and the preview is what you hold on to when the pressure is mounting. While we're on this note, I think it first serves this. It's also probably important to note that God gives previews. The enemy will always give you a bootleg version of your purpose. Oh, y'all know what a bootleg is. Yeah, 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 the enemy, y'all, yeah, see, that's another thing I can't do because I'm a movie person. I don't, I don't care what you got. You can have Black Panther 2 out on DVD. I don't want to see it. I want to go see it in the theater. I don't want a bootleg. Have you watched a bootleg movie before? People walking all through the scene in the movie. People talking about, oh, did they really do that? No, man. Screen all distorted. I don't want to. That's what the enemy does. He'll always give you a bootleg version of God's plan. Yeah, which text tells us this about the devil? Mm hmm. That's what he did to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He tried to give him a bootleg version. Throw yourself down and see what the angels get you. But God said, I ain't watching your bootleg. I got a purpose. I got a destiny. I got a cross that I got to go through. Oh, come on, somebody. So that my children can have a resurrection. Yeah, notice he's not actually preaching Jesus' cross and resurrection. He's turning it into a hoorah section about your purpose. Got to hold on to the preview when the pressure is mounting. Number two, number two, you don't have confidence under pressure. You don't just need a preview. You also need a place. Need a place. Yeah, need a place. Uh-huh. No biblical text says that. Now I'm going to do something I've only done maybe once or twice before. I'm going to speed this up. Yeah, the, this this sermon is utter nonsense. And it's absolutely just grating on me that he's just making this stuff up and these people are clapping and applauding because he's giving such a great delivery. He's so engaging, but nothing he's saying is actually biblical. So we're going to speed Robert Madu up to twice speed so that we can plow through this thing. You need a place. You connect with God. God can connect with you. Do you have a place? It's often the place that God will give you to preview. You have a place. Right. If I have a place, God will give me a preview. No text says that either. A place where you show up and God knows he can lead you there. 
This is interesting in the text, because if you just read Matthew and Mark's account of the Garden of Gethsemane, you will assume that Jesus faced a moment of pressure and then just stumbled upon the Garden of Gethsemane without problems on his own. And this was his first time to pray there. But that was not the case. Luke's account says something I think is profound. If you read it too fast, you'll miss it. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, the place, the place, he said to them, pray. Right. So because Jesus, you know, made a habit of um, praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, you need a place too. I'm going to bump this down just a little bit in speed because he was kind of distorting. You will not fall into temptation. Did you read verse 39? Jesus went out as usual. As usual. In other words, this is my first time to pray in this garden. I have been here before. In other words, I'm not waiting for the pressure in life to mount up on me before I go find a place to connect with the Father. It is a part of my regular routine to have a place, come on somebody, that I connect with with God. So when the pressure comes, I got stuff that's built up on the inside because I have a regular place. I want to know, are you waiting for the pressure of life to come before you go find a place? Because if you do that, you will never have confidence under pressure. But if you have a regular place that you meet with God and he... Nonsense. You up, how many know you'll be shocked what you can face when you got a regular place where you connect with God? Some of you will never have confidence under pressure because you and God have a 911 relationship. Ooh, oh, you're gonna call out, but it better be an emergency. And God will show up, He'll do that, He'll show up, His grace is awesome, He'll show up with a 911 call. Oh, but there's a difference between being a 911 believer and being a Psalms 911 believer. Ah, oh, who loves the Bible? Come on, you know what Psalms 911 says? He says, He who dwells, He who dwells, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty and find protection under His. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress. God said, If you'll find a regular place, I always got you covered, I always got you protected. Ooh, there's a protection in finding a place. I'm going to challenge somebody who's facing all kinds of pressure. Find you a place before the pressure. Get a place. Find a place. Yeah. Okay. With the pressure, you can have confidence under pressure. Come on, have you ever experienced it? Have you ever done your devotion one day and had your time and it was exactly what you needed for that day? Like you got the morning read blessing that curse you and there was that person at your job place and you're like, whoo, you better be glad that I read the scripture today. Oh, my boss better be glad that I spent time with Jesus today. You gotta have a place. You gotta have a place. You only need a place, you need something else. And we find insight in this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. I'm just talking to you today. Y'all good? Come on, son. Matthew 26, 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. You see what just happened? Jesus gets to the place. All the disciples are with him. He then pauses. says, Peter, James, John, y'all come with me. Y'all come on. You see what just happened? With all the disciples... This is Peter, James, John, you three, come with me. Other times, uh, who wants to come to? No, not you. Peter, James, John, y'all three, come with me. Can you hear Thomas? Uh, Jesus, what about me? Can I come? Uh, no, I'm good. Peter, James, John, you three, I love all of you. I really do. I love all of you. I know you love me. I even love Judas, the original hater who's betraying me right now. But I just want Peter, James, and John. Jesus is teaching us a profound principle that when you are under pressure, when the pressure is getting greater, your circle has got to get smaller. <sighs> no, he was not teaching us that when our pressure is getting greater, we have to have a smaller circle. Peter, James, and John also went up with Jesus when he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. That wasn't a high-pressure situation this is nonsense. And notice he disguised it as a biblical doctrine by saying, oh, there's a principle here. No, there isn't. When the pressure 
of life is getting greater, your circle has got to get smaller. So when you want to have confidence under pressure, you don't just need a preview. You don't just need a place. You need the right people. You need the right people around you when you are under pressure. When you are under pressure, everybody can't roll with you when you are under pressure. You've got to be selective when you are under a seat. Talk about missing the whole point of the text. This is just absolutely just galling because this text is about what Jesus did for us so that we can be forgiven. And he's turned it into a four-step program for how to have confidence under pressure. Wow. Pressure with who gets close to you. And here's why. Because when you are under pressure, how many know you are vulnerable? Oh, come on, somebody. You are not yourself when you are under pressure. You are vulnerable when you are under pressure, and everybody can't see that. You are not yourself when you're under pressure. Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture. How in the world is this the same Jesus, the same Jesus, who at one point in his life, there was a hurricane with the disciples, and he was asleep in the middle of a hurricane, and they were waking him up, talking about, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to perish and die. And now the same Jesus is going to the disciples and waking them up, saying, don't you care that I'm about to die? How in the world can that happen? Because when you are under pressure, you are vulnerable. There's a difference between a hurricane hitting your boat and a hurricane hitting your heart. And all of a sudden, we see the Savior of the world asking disciples to give him comfort. The comforter is now asking to be comforted because he is under a season of pressure. And when you're under pressure, you have to be careful with the people you connect yourself with. Because if you're not careful with who you connect yourself with, you can connect with somebody who will prostitute your moment of pressure and use it. What? Somebody's going to prostitute my moment of pressure. Good night. Their own selfish game. Hello, Samson, who was under so much pressure. Come on, got with Delilah, and she prostituted his moment of pressure for her, his own, her own selfish game. You got to be careful of the people you connect yourself with when you're under pressure. This is saying in culture, never let them see you. Never let them see you sweat. That's great. It's cultural. It's not biblical. Because Jesus totally debunks the myth of never let them see you sweat. Because we see in the text, he sweated. Not just sweated, sweated blood. So Jesus is saying, you can let them see you sweat. Just be careful who the them is. People, people, people. Last point is the worship team comes to join me. Worship team is on the way to join him to start the sappy music. Although it's important to have the right amount of people with you, how many know that Jesus' closest circle, Peter, James, and John, were not the most reliable people on the planet to bring when he was under pressure? I mean, come on, this is the point of scripture. You just want to look at Peter, James, and John and go, really, dudes? Really? Like, this is the one moment Jesus needed you. Like, all you have to do is stay awake, man. Just stay awake. They're like, yep, Jesus, we got you. We got you. We good. Yeah, are you just want to pray? Come on, Jesus, we rolled you for years. We got you. Yeah, we're going to pray. Lord, bless Jesus. Help him out. You should. <sighs> sleeping. So although it's important to have the right people, the disciples sleeping puts humanity on display. That although you can have the right people around you, ultimately, your source of strength and power, power can never come from people. Come on, how many know if you're going to fight the pressure, you got to have... All right, cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, apparently trying to help people have confidence under pressure. Nobody's sins were convicted. Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins has not been placarded. It, Nobody's been called to repentance. This is just life-tippy stuff. Yeah, you know, because confidence under pressure. We can learn these principles from how Jesus did it in the garden. Source that is stronger than you. You gotta have a source that is greater than you, and God will never put your power in other people. Oh, this is important. This is important because when you understand that yes, you need the right people, but they are not your source of power, then you can start to let people off the hook who have let you down. You're like, oh, that's cool. Go ahead and sleep. I'm gonna go get your mattress. Your mattress can't. You good? Sleep, sleep. Sleep, go ahead, go to sleep, because you're not my source of power. I got supernatural power that's going to sustain me when I'm under pressure. Because the thing about pressure is when you are under pressure, only you can drink the cup that is before you. Nobody else can drink it. This is about a battle of will. Nobody can. No, this is not about me drinking any cup. This is about the cup that Christ drank for us. Turn your will to the Father's will. You have to do that. And you can only do it when you know your source of power. So funny, I uh, 
like three years ago when I was a rookie parent. <laughs> Never mind. Um, never forget when we first time we having our first born child, Edie. I was so excited. I was like, woo, we are having a baby. I mean, I went crazy. I was like, woo, we are having a baby. We are having, I'm sorry, like I was crazy. We, 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 we are having a baby. So excited. Texting people, woo, did you hear the news? We are having a baby. So excited. Calling people, woo, did you hear what happened? We are having a baby. Posting on Instagram, woo, so excited. This is a girl. We are having a baby. Telling people, preaching sermons. Look at this picture. We got the song woo, we are having a baby. Came time for the due date. Drove to the hospital. We got in the car. Woo, we are having a baby. Got dressed, got the little prep stuff on. They brought the girl. I was like, woo, this is awesome. We are having a baby. Walking down the hallway from C section. Woo, come on, baby. We're going to do it. We can have baby. So I got to the car. So I got to the door and the doctor said, oh, Mr. Medill, you need to stay outside. I said, but we have a baby. I said, I know, but we got to prep your wife for surgery. You stay out there. And then I am out in the hallway figuring out, how about we having a baby? How do you know when it's your purpose, when it's your destiny? There are moments when it's just you and nobody can go where you need to go. You have to have a source of power, but it is your pressure. Can I show you one more thing that I've never seen in all of my life? Why don't you show you something in Luke 22? This is only in Luke's account as well. It says, this is Jesus' prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Did you read verse 43? An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I hope I'm not embarrassing myself as a preacher and a promulgator of the gospel. But for some reason, I missed verse 43 about an angel showing up in the Garden of Gethsemane and strengthening Jesus. People, I've been to Bible college four years. I'm a seminary dropout. How in the world did I miss verse 43 that an angel showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane and strengthened all my life? I missed that. I'm mad at Mel Gibson. No, for real, because I watched the Passion of the Christ. And in the garden scene, I didn't see no angel show up to Jesus. I saw no bald-headed character with no eyebrows. I saw no snake show up. Where was the angel that showed up? How did I miss the angel? So I told God, how did I miss the angel? I, I just went straight to the drops of blood. I just went straight to the sweat. I missed the strength that came in. And God said, Robert, that's the problem with so many of my children is that they're so busy looking at the sweat that they miss the strength. See, you're so busy looking at what happened to you. Uh-huh. So God told you that. Yeah, they're so busy looking at the sweat, they miss the strength. Wow. And the pressure that's coming on you that you don't even see that you're still standing, that you're still here in spite of the pressure that's on you. You're just looking at what happened to you, but you're not looking at the fact that you still got your right mind and you're still lifting up your hand. Come on. By the way, the Trinity Church, Cedar Hill, this is where um, Cindy Jacobs goes to church. Don't just look at the sweat. Look at God's strength that's coming behind you. Oh, come on. Somebody give God some praise. If you're thankful today that God has strength, oh, he will give you strength. That's where your power is. Yeah, see, God's going to send an angel and strengthen you because you need confidence under pressure. Uh huh. Look at the strength that you got. Somebody get up on your feet and give our great God some praise in this place. Hallelujah. You're stronger than you think you are. You're greater than you think you are. I'm going to slow this down now. You're stronger than you think you are. You're so amazing, says no biblical text anywhere. Yeah, they betrayed you, but you're still here. They betrayed you, but you're still here. Wow. Yeah, they lied on you, but you're still standing. Woo! I don't know who I'm preaching to. A bunch of deceived people. You've been looking at the sweat. You missed the strength. You're looking at who left. You missed that he comforted you even after they left. Come on, you told God, I can't take another thing. Another thing happened. Look at you. You're still standing. 
telling you, you can have confidence under pressure. Yeah, just like those antiperspirant uh, commercials, you can have confidence under pressure. Wow. Focus on the strength, not on the sweat. You can be sweating and still be strong. You can have confidence under pressure. That's every heavy bound, every eye be closed. Done. Yeah, we are absolutely out of this sermon. Thank the Lord. Man, what a mess. Taking a text about Christ and his sufferings for us, his passion, and turning it into a how-to sermon on how to have confidence under pressure. Talk about missing the point. And that's exactly what the devil would have you do. He doesn't want you focusing on Jesus. He wants you, like him, to focus on yourself. And the cross was not preached. People's sins were not called out. They did not feel any guilt or the need to repent. This was just abysmal. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.